Hi, this is Adam Berger. I'm a attraction show writer and the author of the book Every Guest is a Hero, Disney's Theme Parks and the Magic of Mythic Storytelling. And when I really want to feel re-energized, I listen to Stories of the Magic. Welcome to Stories of the Magic, an unofficial Disney podcast with your host, Randy Crane. Hear stories from Disney cast members, Imagineers, artists, and more right here on Stories of the Magic. And now, here's your host, Randy Crane. Welcome to Episode 62 and the two-year anniversary of Stories of the Magic. I'm Randy, your host. Thank you for joining me. Today we conclude our interview with Adam Berger, former Walt Disney World cast member, current show writer, and author of the book Every Guest is a Hero, Disney Theme Parks and the Magic of Mythic Storytelling. So far we've talked about Adam's time working at Walt Disney World, how and why he started doing so, and how that set him up for what he's doing now as a show writer. His work as a show writer, and quite a bit about his book and about the hero's journey. Now, Before we continue with the interview, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of spoken word entertainment. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at storiesofthemagic.com audible. There's over 150,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player, including my own book, Faith in the Magic Kingdom. I mentioned in the last couple of episodes that it and my other book would be free on Kindle for a limited time. Well, that time has passed, but there's still a way you may be able to get it at no cost. I'll tell you about that and make a couple more announcements at the end of the show. Now, in this episode, Adam talks about a hypothetical example of the real-life hero's journey of the first generation of Imagineers, how there can be multiple supreme ordeals in a single journey, one of the best examples of the hero's journey in the parks, Mission Space. Is the magic carpets of Aladdin ride in Walt Disney World a hero's journey? Walking through a possible way to understand the new Seven Dwarfs Mine Train is a hero's journey. This includes a bit of a spoiler, by the way. Book report rides versus other types of attractions. What those are and which kind he'd most prefer to work on. Tips for you if you want to become more aware of mythic storytelling in the Disney parks. Moving beyond the parks, how the hero's journey perspective can help you in your daily life. What he never gets asked that he wishes someone would ask him. What inspires him. His advice to you for following or finding your dream and shameless plug time. And then we have a little bit of a tag about what else there is in the book besides the hero's journey. Now, a brief word from a fellow podcaster and friend, and then it's time to turn the page and continue this story. My name is Al. And I'm Joyce. And we're We're huge huge Disneyland Disneyland fans. In fact, we love the Disneyland Resort so much, we host a podcast dedicated to the happiest place on Earth to share that passion with others. That's right. On our show, Tales from the Mouse House Disneyland Podcast, we share current resort news, some tips and tricks we've learned over the years to help make your Disneyland Resort vacation the most magical experience ever. We uncover little-known and often-overlooked gems we like to call hidden treasures, and even review the attractions and places to eat that make the Disneyland Resort so much fun. And if that wasn't enough... We even share some video episodes to help keep you in that Disney magic state of mind. 
If you're a longtime fan of the Disneyland Resort or you've just recently discovered the magic, this podcast is for you. You can find Tales from the Mouse House Disneyland podcast at www.talescast.com and in iTunes. And remember, make, make it, it a Mickey, Mickey day. And now, this week's interview on Stories of the Magic. But, the, you know, there are anecdotes from these, those early days of Imagineering that I've come across that point to the idea that the Imagineers themselves, even if they didn't realize it, they were perpetually on their own hero's journeys. For instance, uh, well, I think you're probably familiar with the story that after Walt Disney formed uh, WED Enterprises, which is now known as WDI, Walt Disney Imagineering, the WED workshops became Walt's favorite place to hang out and exercise his creative impulses. He would drop by there almost every day and hang out with the designers and the model makers and, and, and the artists and just toss ideas around and would pretty much drive everybody nuts. <laughs> um, you know, you know, just sort of project yourself back to those days. Very often, if you were an Imagineer back then, you might look up from your desk and, oh, here comes Walt. And the next thing you know, he, he's coming up to your desk or your workbench and he says, hey, I've got this crazy idea for a new attraction. What do you think of this? And now, you're in a big hurry to get yourself fired. All you have to do is say, well, oh, no, sorry. Well, we can't do that. And then you back it up with all sorts of wisdom and logic and good reasoning and everything. And it, none of that would matter. You said no because well, that was it. In Walt's mind, you were slamming the door on shut. You were foreclosing on any possibilities for success. On the other hand, if you wanted to keep your job, you would say, well, yes, yes, Walt, if. As in, yes, we can do it, Walt, if we tunnel under the train tracks and build the show building outside the berm or whatever. Mm -hmm. As long as you kept yourself open to possibilities, then you were singing Walt's tune and he was happy. Now, let's look at this transaction from the standpoint of the hero's journey. Imagine you, Randy, are a first-generation Imagineer. This makes you the prospective hero. Okay. And Walt is about to assume the classic herald archetype. So when Walt comes over and he says, tell me what you think of this crazy idea, Randy, he's issuing your call to adventure. Now, if you say, oh, no, we can't do that because then what have you just done? You've, you've just refused the call. Right. But if you say, well, yes, Walt, I believe we can do that if then you've just accepted the call. And now you are about to cross the threshold into the special world of whatever crazy proposition Walt has in mind. And <laughs> in the course of your journey through the special world, you will have to endure all sorts of tests and trials, long nights, and weekends spent at the office away from your family, and there's going to be crises and supreme ordeals as everything goes wrong and stuff breaks and your project goes over budget and falls behind schedule. And then ultimately, you and your fellow Imagineers will overcome all these obstacles and you'll eventually get to see thousands and thousands of happy guests enjoying something you helped create. You will have done what mythic heroes were born to do. You have served and sacrificed on behalf of the greater good, and in this case, to the delight and entertainment of countless numbers of park guests for decades to come. Okay, that's really good. Yeah. And it actually brings up a question that is a, more, a little bit more on the analytical side, but something that occurred to me a couple times as I was reading, mm -hmm. too. Um, and you used the phrase uh, supreme ordeal yeah. and you said yeah there might be multiple supreme ordeals when i hear the those words i think you know supreme means the ultimate ordeal so it strikes me as a odd or a little confusing that there can be multiple supreme ordeals well and i don't know how well i explain this in the book but i think one of the things that helps to understand what where the supreme ordeal comes in the hero's journey is that it is the most difficult challenge the hero has faced yet but 
remember the hero's journey is a transformative one. So to undergo the supreme ordeal and to survive it is a transformative event. And this makes the hero, you know, if the hero was to undergo the same supreme ordeal all over again, it would be no contest. The hero would win easily. Mm -hmm. But after the first supreme ordeal, the hero is a different person, than a different hero, a different character than he or she was going in. So now the hero has been transformed by this experience, is better equipped the next time around. So the next supreme ordeal will be even more challenging in, in a way. There may be multiple supreme ordeals, but each one presents a greater challenge than the previous one. So it's the most supreme ordeal to that point, I guess, might be a more reasonable way of describing it. Okay, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. I kind of picture it almost like a video game where you're playing through and you get to the boss for that certain level, and it's an extremely challenging uh, conflict. And eventually you overcome it and you move on to the next level and so on. And each one of those boss battles is a supreme ordeal, and each one is more difficult than the one that came before. I think that makes a good simile or metaphor, yes, definitely. And if, if you were to play all the way through the game and then you got to go back to the beginning keeping all of your stats and everything that you got at the end of the game. Now that first Supreme Ordeal is nothing because you've already overcome it so many times over. All right. Yep. 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 You unlocked it. You figured it out. That's exactly what's going on. I think, uh, I think that's a great way of explaining it. I'm, I'm going to have to remember that for the next edition. By all means, it's yours. <laughs> Royalty you. free. Yeah. <laughs> now in the book, we touched earlier on there. You're using several different specific examples, uh, kind of case studies from the parks, walking through how the hero's journey is embodied in those attractions. The case studies, right. Right. What is one of your favorites? Maybe which one would you say is like the best example of the hero's journey that you included in the book? Okay, that's a good question. Um, I chose my favorites overall, but uh, well, I guess let's begin by listing the 10 case studies, each of which I break down scene by scene to look at the mythic content. So this mission space, Pirates of the Caribbean, Expedition Everest, Under the Sea, Journey of the Little Mermaid, Twilight Zone Tower of Terror, Radiator Springs Racers, Splash Mountain, Toy Story Midway Mania, Test Track, and Haunted Mansion. And these case studies come with titles such as Yeti or Not, Here We Come, <laughs> for Expedition Everest, Leaving No Swash Unbuckled, for Pirates of the Caribbean, and Tomb It May Concern, for Haunted Mansion. So, you know, you can see I try to keep the tone from getting too serious and too academic sounding, although... I guess this is where I should point out that at least one university recently has used Every Guest as a Hero as a textbook in one of their communications courses. That's great. So I guess it, I guess it does have, have academic value, and <laughs> I'm happy to know that, that the students are getting something of value out of it. Anyway, to get back to your main question, I, I've always been impressed, I guess, by Mission Space, because to me it just seems to be one of the most complete examples of the hero's journey in any of the parks. It's especially interesting to me because... It's also an example of how very flexible the paradigm of the monomyth can be. Uh, Mission Space not only features a complete hero's journey, but it also contains a second complete hero's journey nestle, nested inside the first one. First, you have the overall experience, which you enter the special world of the ISDC, the uh, International Space Training Center, to undergo a supreme ordeal to determine if you have what it takes to become an astronaut trainee. And then that supreme ordeal, which is a simulated mission to Mars, turns out to be another complete hero's journey in and of itself. How cool is that? I, I, mm -hmm. I, I have to think they did this deliberately. I never spoke to the Imagineers behind it, but I have to think they knew what they were doing mythologically. Yeah, that was definitely uh, one of my favorites as well. 
because it is so complete. And I appreciated the complete ones to help me really get a handle on it before going back and thinking about some of the others that are not so clearly defined. Yeah, that's certainly the case with a lot of them. But uh, this, again, speaks to the fact that uh, you, you don't have to have a complete hero's journey to get the value of it out of it, uh, the emotional impact, the uh, psychological resonance. That impact can be spread over several different attractions in the same land or over an entire park. You know, each one contributing a little. I guess one of the questions that uh, I always enjoy is, you know, somebody eventually will say, uh, oh, well, you know, how about Magic Carpets of Aladdin? Is that a hero's journey? You know, I was like, well, <laughs> you know, keep in mind that Magic Carpets of Aladdin, yes, it's a simple spinning ride, but it doesn't sit in the middle of an empty parking lot. It's in the middle of Adventureland, at the, you know, within a stone's throw of the Jungle Cruise and, and the Enchanted Tiki Room and, uh, and and not very far from Pirates of the Caribbean. So, you know, it, it, it is part of a larger hero's journey of, that is encapsulated within all of Adventureland. You know, when you ride on the Magic Carpets of Aladdin, you are experiencing one of the uh, interesting uh, ex- uh, experiences, maybe one of the uh, tests and trials that is part of the hero's journey of, of Adventureland in that special world. So yes, it fits in, but it is not a hero's journey in and of itself. It is one element of a larger hero's journey. Right. Like it's something that proves your worth to continue farther, yeah. possibly, to something like the Jungle Cruise or Pirates of the Caribbean. Right. Uh, so functioning as a trial and at least the structure itself maybe functioning as a threshold guardian? Uh, I think there's all sorts of ways to read it. Again, it's very fluid. And one of the things about storytelling in general and the hero's journey in particular is that uh, different people will react to the same story in different ways. Uh, Whatever your needs are emotionally that you need to get out of the story, if it contains the essence of those uh, ideas within them, you know, you you will get it out of it. Your subconscious will respond to whatever it is it's looking for if if it appears in some way in that story. And it might not be the same thing that other people get out of it. So for one person, it might be a threshold guardian. For someone else, it's a trial. For someone else, it's... I don't know, a herald. It might be the supreme ordeal, or it might be the reward. It might be the reward at the end. People are going to take the attractions in Adventureland in different sequences. You might not always start off in the Swiss Family Treehouse or the uh, Jungle Cruise. You may do Pirates of the Caribbean first and work your way you know, in, in the opposite direction. So you know, getting on aboard the, the Magic Carpets of Aladdin, that might be your reward for you know, part of your journey home. Okay. It is very fluid and very flexible, and as long as you keep that in mind and try not to put it into a rigid framework, you'll get a lot more enjoyment out of it. Right, definitely. How about an attraction that's not included in the book? Uh, maybe one that you had to cut from the book, and if we could even spend just a couple of minutes walking through one of those so that people can kind of hear the hero's journey. You know, the person listening gets to kind of hear how it works, yeah. but not the actual content from the book so that, you know, there's some familiarity there. I'm, I'm going to have to extemporize it a little bit, but uh, we recently went back over my earliest outlines for the book and it turns out I was originally thinking about having 17 case studies, believe it or not. Wow. So in addition to the 10 that are currently in there, I would have also included Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, Dinosaur, Journey to the Center of the Earth, which is at Tokyo Disney Seas, Indiana Jones Adventure, Jungle Cruise, Star Tours, and Buzz Lightyear's Space Ranger Spin. 
But uh, I realize I did touch on all of these and many other attractions in various other chapters. So they're all in there, but they're just not in the form of individual case studies. I can't say I have any favorites among those, but when you look at the attractions mythologically, they all have some great stuff going on. Uh, I guess if I were to publish an updated edition of my book sometime in the coming year or two, and I'm not saying I will, or I'm not saying I won't, I think I'd like to add a few new case studies, maybe not seven more, but uh, maybe one or two more. And one that comes to mind is the new Seven Dwarfs Mine Train. I've not been on that one yet. It just opened yesterday. Uh, I may get to write on it this weekend if all goes well, but from what I've seen on YouTube and elsewhere, it just seems to be brimming with mythic content. So uh, keep in mind, I've not actually walked through this, but uh, uh, it seems to me the Seven Dwarfs Mine Train is one of those that is not a complete hero's journey, as some of the other attractions are in, in my book. But I'm guessing somewhere near the start of the queue, there's bound to be a very prominent call to adventure. So usually with the, the coaster-style attractions, the call to adventure is the exciting view of the ride that you get from a distance as you're approaching. The Imagineers, of course, deliberately position the sidelines of these rides to get passers by a very enticing and intriguing view of the action, which gets people to want a, a closer look. So your first view of the mine train ride would function as your call, just as it does with Expedition Everest or Big Thunder Mountain or Splash Mountain or any of the other you know, major thrill rides, except for Space Mountain, really, which is all enclosed. Right. Okay. As you get closer, I'm sure there must be a warning signage at the entrance, and that would give you a chance to refuse the call to adventure if you decide it's not really for you after all. Then, assuming you accept your call to adventure, you cross the first threshold to enter the queue, and at that point, you transition into the special world of the Seven Dwarfs, and you, know, you have all the scenery and the music and all the sound effects evoking the environments from the Disney movie on which it's based. And I believe the standby queue contains um, a number of interactive games that keep you entertained while you're waiting. So uh, I think these might equate to the challenges and trials that the hero faces along the road of trials. And then once you get aboard the mine train itself, this begins your approach to the inmost cave, which is where you meet the seven dwarfs at work in the diamond mine. And then at the end of the ride, you encounter the Wicked Queen, disguised as the old hag outside the dwarf's cottage, while Snow White and the dwarfs dance inside. And I apologize for not warning people about spoilers. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> when you get to this point, uh, it would seem that uh, this would be the beginning of the Supreme Ordeal, which turns out to be the end of the ride. So, again, it's really only a partial hero's journey, but that's okay. They don't all have to be complete to have a psychological impact. Uh, besides, we all know how the rest of the story goes. We know Snow White will bite the poison apple and appear to die, and then she'll be resurrected by true love's first kiss, and then uh, that will bring her current journey to an end and then presumably mark the beginning of a new one as she becomes a member of royalty. Okay. And I, I'm sure that somewhere within the attraction, just based on what I know of it, and I've obviously not written it either, but it seems like the dwarves end up having a couple different functions uh, as different uh, archetypal characters in there, possibly as heralds or even you know, quite possibly as mentors in one way or another. Well, sure. I, this is one of those attractions. I, I think in my uh, case studies, uh, uh, another one I would relate it to is the Little Mermaid ride under the sea in which it really requires a certain amount of foreknowledge of the movie in order to be fully appreciated. This is what the Imagineers internally referred to as a book report ride. <laughs> right. Where you basically take scenes, highlights of the movie, and you're just recreating them detail for detail. And there's no way to tell the entire story, but you just take highlights of it and basically do a condensed book report. Uh, and this is opposed to attractions that are based on purely original material, like 
Haunted Mansion and Pirates of the Caribbean or Space Mountain, or attractions that use familiar material but put into new uh, into new storylines, such as Buzz Lightyear Space Ranger Spin or something like that. Right, or Indiana Jones. Or Indiana Jones, exactly. Yeah, so the nature of the book report is that you're really depending on your knowledge of the characters and the story from the movie. And I think that one thing that they did differently with the Little Mermaid attraction that helps with that, and I might be completely reading into this, but uh, it helped me because one of the things people complain about is how it seems sort of piecemeal and it ends abruptly and, and all of this, which is kind of the nature of a dark ride, quite honestly, I think. But to me, it helps that Scuttle is the narrator yeah, and you know, functioning as the herald figure, but he's kind of scatterbrained. And he doesn't really quite get how the whole story goes. And to me, he's telling us the story. And because of that, he's telling it as he understands it and as he remembers it. He even says at the end, and, you know, that's the story, or at least how I remember it. Right. So that tells me it's going to be a little disjointed and not quite the way we remember the story because it's being told from his perspective. Right. And I think when people take that into consideration, it, it makes a little more sense in, in that narrative framework. And I, I think you're, you're very perceptive for picking up on that. Thank you. So that definitely is reflected in there. But I think what, moreover, just from a practical standpoint, there's just no way you can get an entire 90-minute movie into a six-minute ride. Right. It's never going to happen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. My personal preference is for non-book report rides. If I ever get to design something like that, I would be interested in the challenge of trying to do a book report attraction, but I think I would really feel more creative freedom in coming up with a new scenario that uses the characters and, and their relationships and puts them into you know, a, a new narrative direction. Mm -hmm. I think that if I were to do something like that, which is probably not going to happen, but if I were to, I, I would be the same way. It, it seems much more interesting and exciting to do that. Yeah, but people do love their famous scenes, their familiar scenes, and you know it's worked very well for Disney. I mean, look at how popular uh, attractions like Peter Pan's Flight is. After all these years, still fabulously popular. Definitely, it sure is. It's amazing how long the, the lines can get for that. Yeah, and it's such a simple ride, too. There's almost nothing happening. Mm -hmm. But uh, it, it really touches some sort of, of emotional buttons in people's minds, and that just shows you the power of this type of emotional storytelling. That it does. And that's a great segue to my next question, which is, are there any tips that you can offer to guests who want to become more aware of the mythic storytelling they're experiencing as they're in a Disney park? Some may not want to know, they just want to experience it and that's fine. But for somebody who wants to be able to kind of look for it a little bit more, are there, is there anything <laughs> they can do to do that? You, you just handed this to me on a silver platter, didn't you? <laughs> my answer has to be, read my book. The title is Every Guest is a Hero, Disney's Theme Parks and the Magic of Mythic Storytelling. It's available in print and for e-reader from Amazon.com. You can get it from BarnesandNoble.com. Many other fine online booksellers carry it. It's also available if you have an iPad. You can get it from the iBookstore for the iPad. Read the book and then uh, go in the park and experience it with your eyes open and, and uh, your perspective enlarged and able to appreciate the attractions and the parks overall and a, at a whole new level. All this stuff is, is out there. It's in your face all the time, but you just need the tools in order to decipher this mythic source code. Yeah, and it will definitely do that. And I think that, at least for me, it did something else as well, your book did. Oh. I don't know if this was necessarily intended or not, but it did. And that is that 
all of us experience our own challenges and struggles and issues and things in our lives. You know, at any given time, most of us are going through something that's challenging in one way or another. And reading your book and kind of getting that hero's journey perspective and recognizing the different pieces of it, as I look at even this current time in my life, I see pieces of the hero's journey. And so it helps me to deal with a difficult situation by interpreting it as something on the road of trials or even possibly as a supreme ordeal. And it helps me to recognize that, you know, I don't really know exactly what to do next in this situation. Well, if I was in a story, what I would need right now is a mentor or a herald. And so I can seek someone out or something out that can serve that role and help me decide what the next step is or what some of my options are or something like that. So it actually helps me put a story framework on my daily experiences and then moves them forward that way. Well, I'm so glad to hear you say that because that really was one of the kind of secret purposes of this book is to be able to give the readers something that they can apply in their own lives. And in the process of writing this book, uh, I became more conscious of it and more aware of it. And, you know, very often, like almost everyone, I, there are times when I say, what am I thinking? How in the world can I hope to succeed in whatever it is I'm trying to do? What are, you know, there's no way I can pull this off. Then I stop and I realize, oh, wait, that's my threshold guardian talking, or this is my shadow talking. This is the negative energy in me expressing itself as self-doubt and insecurity and telling me that I'm not worthy. What do I do as a hero? I have to prove myself worthy and I have to remember that I'm here on my mission. If I hadn't gone through that thought process, I don't think I ever would have written the book. There's so many things, everyone's life, that all the time that we're, we're always wondering, oh, can I really go ahead with this? And, and am I really the right person for this? And it's so easy to say, no, I'll just, there's too much risk involved or, or there's too much trouble or I'm not really good enough to do it or people will make fun of me or I'll, I'll, I'll end up losing everything or at least making a laughing stock of myself. Right. So it's a, yeah, definitely once you understand the hero's journey and, and understand that you know this is not – instructions for your life it is something that is an expression of your subconscious this is not something that goes into you this is something that comes out of you mm -hmm. it's a mirror that you hold up to your own self and you can see uh something that you know is normally hidden inside yourself expressed through the, the language of metaphor and symbology and narrative storytelling yeah and it's not prescriptive it's not telling you what to do but it's descriptive helping you have a framework for understanding what's happening in a way that can make sense and can provide a different perspective. Exactly. Emotional sense, psychological sense, not, not right. necessarily intellectual sense. When you bring it out into the open, that's when the intellectual aspect of your personality, of your mind takes over, and then you can apply logic to the situation, decide what to do. Mm -hmm. You can approach things analytically, as you pointed out. Right. Okay, so let me just ask a couple of questions to yeah. wrap up, and then I'm going okay. to give you a chance to plug your book again, oh, because we can never do that too many times. What do you never get asked that you wish people would ask you? Oh, can I buy you lunch? <laughs> I might hear that occasionally, but not nearly often enough. So, Of course not. Yeah, I just never turn down a free lunch. So, <laughs> I know there's no such thing as a free lunch, but you know, the closest you can get to it, the better. That's right. Yeah. Okay, we'll go with that. <laughs> <laughs>
And, now, and this is something that you talked about a little bit before when I'd asked you what you loved most about what you do. But what inspires you? Well, you're right. I did talk about this earlier. But uh, I think in general, I mean, I'm inspired by the same things that you probably are inspired by, you know, by certain books, by, you know, movies and stories. And I mean, I'm a very story oriented person. So it's usually something in a, in a story format. But in general, I guess I'm inspired by almost any expression of creative, nonlinear thinking. Probably what inspires me even more, though, is being around other creative people, especially when we're all thrown together in a team environment. It's kind of, you know, it's an ad hoc group with different skill sets and viewpoints. And yet we're all still having to work toward the same goal. And uh, what I just described is exactly what you get when you're working on a themed attraction project. Uh, when all the cylinders are firing in sync, it's just really an incredibly inspirational and uplifting experience. In fact, uh, as I mentioned, that's the reason I, I wanted to get into the attraction design business in the first place. Just because when I work with highly creative people, I feel like I become more creative in the process. Mm -hmm. And I always feel that people around me are more creative than I am. So uh, I, I feel like for a brief time, I'm elevated to their level somehow. That's a good way to be. Always be surrounded by people who, or at least as much as possible, be surrounded by people who can help elevate you to their level and make you better, you know, do something that's more challenging, whatever, that moves you to a new level that you wouldn't have been at otherwise. Well, and it's so true in, the, in this industry because in attraction design, you, you have to have achieved a certain level of, of skill and have a certain reputation before you can really be hired because the stuff they do is so expensive and so risky financially that they want to hire people who know what they're doing. So as a result, you generally end up surrounded by people who have been in the industry for a good number of years and uh, really have a great amount of talent and uh, have demonstrated a lot of skill and, uh, and ability. And a lot of them are artists uh, in, in the more conventional sense that you see them sketching all around you as you're having meetings and you look at what their doodles look like. and It's just like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> wow. They just drew a rendering while we were talking. I know exactly what you mean. Yes. I just I witnessed that not too long ago myself. So. Oh, my. Yeah. Isn't it a trip? It really is. Again, when I'm in that sort of environment, I feel more creative myself. And, and plus, you're in an environment that really demands that you not hold back, that you really pitch in. And one of the cardinal rules of brainstorming is that you, know, you don't just say no or throw cold water on anyone's ideas. You may move on more quickly to another idea, but you know, everything is valued at least as a jumping off point to get to another point. Right. And you never know where one of those ideas that didn't seem like such a great idea at first, when other pieces are put with it through that process, actually becomes something pretty significant. The worst thing you can do in a brainstorming meeting is to hold back and not contribute and not say something. You can't really say anything completely stupid or dumb except no. You know, as long as you're in that positive mode, anything you toss into the conversation is going to move things forward. And that's really a very accepting and very creative environment to be in. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Okay. And now somebody is listening right now. And I absolutely I hope sure. Is. <laughs> uh, somebody is listening that has her own dreams. Maybe it's to write a book, maybe to connect her interest in Disney to an area of expertise. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's something entirely unrelated to Disney, but there's some dream that's in there and has been shoved aside or been told often enough, you know what, that's just dumb. Mm -hmm. But you've written a book and you know, you're doing all of these great projects, some with Disney and some others that have really you know, think something that you've wanted to do for a long time. So coming from the place where you are now, what advice do you have for that person? Well, 
actually, I think Joseph Campbell put it quite well. An interviewer once asked him what he thought was the secret to living a happy, fulfilling life. And Campbell instantly responded with three very famous words. He said, follow your bliss. That's all you really need to know. Just decide what it is you want to do in your life and then figure out a way to do it. <laughs> Simple, right? Um, sure. <laughs> yeah. uh, hopefully it won't be something illegal or hurtful or treasonous. So you know, <laughs> if, it, if your bliss is to steal people's computer passwords and then, then please, for heaven's sakes, don't. Don't follow your bliss. I'm begging <laughs> you, go away from your bliss. Move in a different direction. <laughs> Find a new bliss. Find a new bliss. But uh, I think another thing that, on top of that, is I think it's important to have a healthy sense of perspective in your life. I think one way to gain perspective is to develop a good understanding of mythic storytelling, and particularly the hero's journey. As we were just saying, uh, the hero's journey is really a metaphor for the life journey that we all take. It's a metaphor that can potentially come in very handy when you're at a decision point in your life. For instance, you're probably faced with important opportunities from time to time, and very often your first impulse might be to say, oh, no, I don't think I can do that. And sometimes saying no is exactly the wise and prudent answer, but there are other times when the no response is coming from the shadow archetype or the threshold guardian inside you, that negative energy that makes you doubt your readiness for the journey and therefore holds you back from your true potential. This, of course, as you, as you recognize, is the classic refusal of the call to adventure. And as Joseph Campbell once pointed out, when you refuse the call, your life just dries up and your future shrivels away. So that's one example, but there are so many others. If you understand the hero's journey, and you can think in those terms in your daily life, you'll find yourself positioned to pursue all sorts of great possibilities that you might never have considered otherwise. By the way, that's where every hero, every guest as a hero can help, I think. As you pointed out, I spend a lot of time in the book talking about the Disney theme parks and how the Imagineers use their mastery of myth and storytelling to make the park so compelling. Of course, that's the heart of the book. But I also focus a lot on explaining the hero's journey in ways that you can apply in your own daily life as you have pointed out, Randy, so that you can find perspective, so you can fulfill your own personal hero's journey and follow your bliss. Absolutely. And since we're back on that subject, and I think that that is one of the best ways to do that, especially using the context of what we've been talking about to follow your dreams and to move into a place in your life that maybe you didn't think was possible, to allow you know the listeners to do that, they need to read your book. So, well, there's a lot of other books. <laughs> uh, let's put it this way. A very good way to do it is to read your book. <laughs> well, for the Disney uh, aficionado, for, for somebody who's really very familiar with Disney and loves Disney and knows all the attractions and the movies, you know, I, for instance, the archetypes are all explained in terms of Disney characters from the movies. Mm -hmm. and, and so is the uh, paradigm. It's all explained in terms of scenes from the Disney movies. So you Disney fans will really find a lot to relate in this. So if that's the point of view that you're coming from, then this is a really easy way to introduce yourself to the whole idea of the hero's journey and the mythic thinking and mythic storytelling. If you come from a different direction, there's lots of other books that you can see, uh, you, some of them by Joseph Campbell himself. Actually, what you could do is get a hold of my book and then read the uh, bibliography, which goes on for like four or five pages. It is a really good uh, and complete bibliography, or maybe, I don't know if it's complete, but it's extensive. Let's put it that way. Yeah. So tell us again how and where we can find your book okay. and, and get it. Well, the book is uh, um, available from uh, most of the major online booksellers. You can find it at uh, Amazon.com, BardsandNoble.com. You can buy a, a Kindle version if you have that e-reader. That's, again, a, an Amazon product, or if you have the Nook reader from Barnes & Noble. You can buy that e-version from the Barnes & Noble online bookstore. Uh, if you have 
uh, an iPad. You can get an iPad version from uh, the iTunes uh, store or the iBook store. And uh, there are other booksellers. The only place you can't really buy it is in a brick-and-mortar bookstore. The way it's being published, it's pretty much print-on-demand. So Sure. Yeah, mine's the same way. The copy you ordered will be uh, printed just for you and mailed to you within a couple of days. Or you can get it instantly if you order the electronic version. And again, the name of the book is Every Guest is a Hero, Disney's Theme Parks and the Magic of Mythic Storytelling. And my name is Adam Berger with the B-E-R-G-E-R. And uh, if you look at the book, or I guess you'll have the picture of the cover on your website, right, Randy? Yeah, I'll at least have your picture, and I can even do your picture and a picture of the cover. Yeah, uh, you'll, you'll get to see what my uh, preschooler looks like, as he's the cover model. Oh, there you go. I wondered who that was. <laughs> yeah, that's my son Micah, and uh, he's a ver- very good sport, and uh, a, a very major Disney fan, Disney theme parks fan in the making. He quotes lines from the parks all the time. <laughs> so you're raising him well, is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, raising him to be a little me. That's right. Um, and if people want to find you online and connect with you, is there a Facebook page or Twitter or website or anything? Thank you for pointing that out. There is a Facebook page for uh, Every Guest is a Hero. You just type in Every Guest is a Hero and it'll come right up and you can just uh, like the page and become a member or, or a follower. You can also go to themythinglink.com, www.themythinglink, M-Y-T-H-I-N-G, uh, all one word. And that'll take you to the official web page of the book. But it, it deals with other stuff other than the book of just mythic musings in general of uh, mythic storytelling as it appears in pop culture uh, in, in all sorts of different forms. You can also uh, follow me to some extent on uh, goodreads.com. Okay. Again, by entering my name or looking for the book. Gotcha. And I will put links to as much of this as I possibly can in the show notes for the oh, episode too. So, uh, you know, if you're listening and you've missed some of that, just go to the show notes for this episode and you'll have all of it there. And if you're listening uh, in iTunes, it should all be in the description too. So you can find it that way. And and I'd like to take the moment, uh, if I could, just to point out that since your listeners stayed with us this long, uh, there's a lot more to every guest as a hero than just the hero's journey. Uh, We talked a lot about that, but the book actually explores all sorts of other mythic themes and ideas that Disney Imagineers introduce into the attractions or continuously working on your subconscious mind or shaping your experience every moment. For instance, uh, I've got a chapter that explains why we find audio-animatronic figures so mesmerizing, if if you've ever wondered about that. Uh, There's another chapter that focuses on the reason why there are so many scary creatures in the Disney parks, from dragons to dinosaurs to the yeti and i've even got an entire chapter that deals with disney's acquisition of lucasfilm in 2012 and an understanding of mythic storytelling can offer some really intriguing clues about what sorts of star wars themed attractions we can look forward to in the coming years so uh when you read my book you're likely to end up with a whole new appreciation for the parks i think you'll come away realizing there's a lot more going on than you ever suspected but it's always been there. It's uh, hidden in plain sight. You just need to know what you're looking at. And uh, once you have that ability, you'll see the mythic storytelling is going on everywhere in the parks, all around you. Chances are you'll never look at the Disney parks the same way again. Agreed. And thank you for pointing that out. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned those other uh, concepts and things that are in there because those are other very worthwhile parts of the book. Thank you. Absolutely. And I believe that you have now survived what might be a supreme ordeal. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was you surviving the Supreme Ordeal. <laughs> Maybe we both did. We were on our, our, our mutual heroes journeys here. So thank you very much. Thank you. It's been a great pleasure. And you have 
asked some wonderful questions, and I really appreciate all the uh, perceptive uh, and, and intriguing uh, directions that you found here. That brings us to the end of this week's show. A special thank you to Adam Berger for being my guest, and to you for listening. If you're currently doing something because of your love for Disney, maybe like Adam and me, you've written a book, or you're blogging, writing, performing music, art, whatever it is, and you want to tell people about it and why it matters to you, I want to hear from you. I also want to talk to and hear from people who have worked for Disney, also like Adam in this case. And if you're a Disney guest of any Disney experience, and you've had an encounter or an interaction with a cast member that made some extra Disney magic, or had any special Disney experience you want to share, or give a compliment or a thank you for anything Disney's done, I'd love to hear from you, too. In all of those cases, email me at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call the listener feedback line at 734-23-STORY and tell me about your experience. As I said at the start of the show, my books were free on Kindle for July 16th and 17th. A lot of people downloaded them. I mean, a lot of people downloaded them. And if you were one, thank you. I hope you enjoy them. And if you do, please leave a review on Amazon. If you missed out, though, and if you're an Amazon Prime member, you can borrow both Faith in the Magic Kingdom and my first book, Once Upon Your Time, from the Kindle Lending Library for free. Now, if you're not an Amazon Prime member... I have to say that I priced the books at what I think is a very fair price, and certainly the cost is less than the value that you would get from them. If I didn't believe that, I wouldn't have priced them the way I did. In fact, I probably wouldn't have even published them if I didn't think that you'd actually get some really good value from it. So I encourage you, even if you can't get it for free, to go pick up either or both of the books. Now for a couple of announcements. First, as a reminder, I'll be at the Disneyana Expo in Garden Grove, California on July 20th, which as of the day that this episode is released is two days later. So hopefully you hear this before that and can make it to the show. If not, and you hear it afterwards, well, hopefully you made it by the show anyway. I'll have paperback copies of both of my books available at a special show discount, and of course I'd love to meet you. So if you'll be in the area, please stop by the show and say hi. And while you're there, check out all the cool stuff people have for sale and meet some pretty amazing people, too. Finally, the podcast is almost two years old. Actually, as of about a day from now, it is two years old. And after all this time, I need your help. My headphones and microphone are really pretty low quality, and they're getting worse. To the point where interviews now take me three times longer than they used to for editing, just to get them anywhere close to my standards. It's bad enough that I really do need to replace them before I record another interview. And even just as you're hearing this, you can probably tell why. And honestly, I've done a lot to edit out as much as I can to make it a clean recording. So if you enjoy the show and you can help out a little bit, I would greatly appreciate a donation of any size. You can either click the donate button in the right sidebar on the storiesofthemagic.com website, or just go to PayPal and send it to podcast at storiesofthemagic.com. I don't need a lot, but I do need some, and I need your help to do it. I need your help for this replacement. The sooner I can get it, the sooner that I can get back to recording interviews and providing great stories for you. So, thank you. I also mentioned this a few days ago on the Facebook page, and thank you to those who've already helped just based on that. Well, I think this is enough to wrap up the show today, so I'm not going to go through the usual rating and where you can find everything on social media. It's all there on the website. So if you want to find any of it, you can go to storiesofthemagic.com and it's all there. 
Thank you for joining me for this episode of Stories of the Magic. There will be other days and other stories, but this tale is finished. You've been listening to Stories of the Magic with Randy Crane. If you have feedback, want to share a story of your own, or even be a guest on the show, write to Randy at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call our listener feedback line, 734-23-STORY. And don't forget to visit the website, storiesofthemagic.com for show notes from this and every episode and to leave your comments. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, live your dreams and make the magic in your world.